What's a going on, listeners? We haven't seen you in a while. And there's good reason for that. So the skinny of this is, is that John needed to take a break from the podcast. This was always planned. Uh, the thing that was not planned was that that break ended up having to happen a little sooner than we thought. So I didn't really have time to put together anything in his absence. And that's why this episode's only coming out now. Uh, this episode was recorded in April of 2021. So if there's anything that's like a little wonky about it, that's why like... Uh, <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff about Russia in there, but I'm keeping it because fuck it. Also, uh, I talk a lot about there wanting to be a Godfather 4K release. Uh, that is now happening. It's actually happening uh, in a couple weeks, so, you know, crazy coincidence. Those are always fun. We will be back next week with March Madness. Until then, here's a word from our sponsor. For your information is brought to you by Mocherino's Deli. Gabagoo! Ladies and gentlemen... Live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. We're gonna make him an offer he can refuse. We're gonna make them listen to our podcast. Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best mo fucking friends. We're your hosts, Zach. And I'm John. And this week, we're gonna keep it in the familia, and we're gonna talk about Francis Ford Coppola's three-hour masterpiece, The Godfather, from 1972. God, is it really a three-hour movie? It is. It doesn't feel like it, and, uh... It really doesn't. Yeah, but you know what, John? Uh, Most of us find that out, you know, a little bit before this time in our life, so, uh, we're gonna get straight to the point here. How the ever-loving fuck haven't you seen the godfather it, it's it's like the movie yeah i don't know um it, i don't have an excuse for this one i don't have an excuse for a lot of these but i really don't have an excuse for this one because i knew it was critically acclaimed i knew that it got a lot of pop culture reference i knew that it was like a super high profile movie and i just never watched it i guess i just never found myself in a situation where it was on so i wasn't exposed to it and you know if i got exposed to it maybe i would have wanted to go back and watch it myself but i don't think that ever happened for me so uh i i just knew about like i don't know shark tale (laughs) which is like uh, loosely based on the godfather concept but it is somehow some way yeah never came around to me actually watching the film damn that sucks dude i actually kind of feel bad for you on this one it's such a good freaking movie um it really is so that's that is uh that's my next question is did this live up to the hype for you uh yeah i think that it did uh there's a lot of really good dialogue i mean it's pretty early i say early it's from what the 70s 1972 yep 1972 i know that a lot of movies back then like they weren't like super super great with like dialogue or like it was really easy to come across super wooden stuff like that was just kind of the style i guess through some movies in the 60s and into the 70s but i mean at times it made me feel like i was watching a film noir at times it made me feel like i was watching like a christopher lee dracula movie like honestly it (laughs) it runs the gambit of like appeal from 70s film and like it really brings it all together there's just so much to look at it's like a feast for the eyes it is like every single shot in this movie is like a painting and that's one of the things about the godfather is like it's really cliche to like the godfather but i mean the hype is real it is just that good and like 
every time I watch it, which is not like incredibly often, but every time I watch it, I'm like, man, I forgot how good this was. It's mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those things where it's like, ah, I don't want to watch that. You know, like that's what that's like a typical dude movie, but like it really is that good. Um, this was actually the first R-rated movie I ever watched. Oh, really? Yeah, back in the days of Blockbuster, um, I made my sister rent something super kid-friendly, and then I put The Godfather under it, and my mom didn't notice. So. <laughs> Nice. That, yep. That's that's slick. Yeah, I think I think I watched this probably when it's about like 13, 14 maybe, which is crazy. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's not too intense, I don't think. Like there's obviously some really like mature content. There's a lot of violence and stuff, oh, but yeah. I mean, it's got plenty of context, I think, and I mean, anybody who can pay attention to what's going on in the movie will be able to make sense of it. It's not it's not exploitative that way. And no. I mean, if any of you guys remember anything about what we did for Halloween last year, you'll know that sometimes that's just exploitation. But this was not that. Not <laughs> no. not even a little bit. It's not exploitative in the way that like the Al Pacino Scarface is. Like right. and when you look when you look at these movies side by side, like that movie looks like shit. Just absolute garbage. <laughs> Yeah, I could agree. Uh, totally different appeals. I think this one definitely has the class on it, you know? Like oh, yeah. It's, and I think it represents a completely different era in time. I mean, this True. movie takes place in the 40s and 50s, and then, you know, to have uh, Scarface take place... The first one was in, like, Prohibition. The second one, obviously, it's, like, in the 80s. And, like, they're just two totally different worlds that they live in, and it's uh, it's illustrated pretty well, but you are right. It looks way dirtier and not nearly as classy as The Godfather does. Correct. But it still manages to retain the grit, and that's... That's what really digs into you when you watch the movie. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I, I think to finish off like our gangster thing, we'll have to watch Goodfellas. But Oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, I've been meaning to watch that one, too. Well, we'll get to that one. That one is actually over three hours long. But you do get to see Joe Pesci stab the shit out of a guy in a trunk. So I think it's worth it. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I feel like you could do that if you just go down to the turnpike. Exactly. You know, Joe Pesci is just down there, just ready to stab motherfuckers who laugh at him. Anyway, that's not this movie. Before we move on, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? I do. So the scene um, with the baptism or the, uh, yeah, I guess it's the baptism, the confirmation uh, of his godson uh michael corleone's godson and just all the stuff that's going on and all the puzzle pieces and moving parts coming together and like you know it's like there's conspiracy it's like super engaging and like it's all shot really well Mm -hmm. and it goes from like again this is one of those parts of the movie that goes from like a crime film noir over back to like something super like gaudy and like religious and like uh, gothic almost and then it goes back and forth back and forth and it's cut together so well and it's just the appeal the appeal is there it's so good it's, it is truly a piece for the eyes it's um it's actually considered uh afi's best film scene of all time really yeah that is like like and if you don't know afi american film institute it's um it, it is heavily lauded like that scene it i mean it's just mwah, you know doing the uh. doing the little chef's kiss uh, yeah. See, when you said AFI, I thought you were talking about the emo band. No, um, I, I'm sure they have good opinions on movies, but you know they haven't made a good album in like what ever. Never. So yeah, <laughs> the Halloween EP <laughs> is great. The Halloween EP is great. Everything else incredibly uneven. Anyway, that is also not this movie. <laughs> so. What we also like to do on this show, if you're new here, is we make a cocktail to go with every movie because John hasn't seen movies, but he does know a lot about cocktails. So, John, I really hope you made something super Italian this week. 
you know, I kind of wanted to go all out for this. I wanted to do something really crazy, but I think I just, we're going to stick to basics. I think we're going to talk a little bit about a cocktail that actually allegedly has a little bit of history with this movie. Ooh, do tell. So, yeah, a few weeks ago, I guess it was a few months ago at this point, uh, we did a cocktail called the Padrino, which is you know, a word for Godfather, and it was a play on the Godfather cocktail. So let's talk about the Godfather cocktail for a second. So you take two parts bourbon, one part DeSorono, you shake it with ice, you strain it out into a cup or a glass, you know, and you put a little bit of ice in it if you like, and you drink it that way. Uh, there's a Godmother cocktail where you substitute vodka for the bourbon, but the reason why the Godfather cocktail is called the Godfather is because it was allegedly Marlon Brando's favorite drink. Okay, that makes sense. Also, I guess... I guess bourbon, man, vodka, woman. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> Which well, I'm I mean, sure, they're the same string. I guess, but I'm sure some Russians would have some choice words for that. I mean, I think the Russians would just be more mad that you diluted the vodka with Disarono. You must drink the potato water pure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you go, I've heard that in clubs in like Eastern Europe, it is common for people to drink vodka neat. Like, not take shots of vodka. Drink it neat in a glass. Like scotch. Well, have you ever come across online like the uh, Russian dating site pictures? Um, sure. I'm going to say yes just because I want to see where this goes. Okay, so um, if you haven't seen them, it's basically like the most terrifying shit you'll ever see in your life. It's like, looks like burnt out buildings with like women with one eyebrow just like sexily sitting on like just a mattress on the floor. And like, there's a lot of these. <laughs> I see. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to talk about that because it scares me. <laughs> uh, understandable. I don't think anybody can fault you for being freaked out by that. Um, nice. And I've That's seen some say. shit nice. on the internet. I've seen some shit. That one kind of freaked me out. I don't know why. That and Odd Body Furbies. But anyway, we don't have time oh, to talk man. about Odd Body Furbies. Uh, Furby without fur. No, 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 no. This is not Furbies without fur. This is like people taking a Furby, or at least just the face, and putting it on things where it doesn't belong. Oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> I'll put some up on the page so that you guys can understand. Anyway, Godfather talk cocktail, bourbon, Godmother cocktail, vodka, ice, mix? Yeah, yeah, you shake it with ice and strain it out. Um, okay. I think this is a really good cocktail for somebody who's looking to get into bourbon. And, I mean, as a person who really likes bourbon, I think that uh, it can be a little intimidating for people because the flavors are so intense, and it's usually at full strength. You know, there's nothing that you can get that's a bourbon lower than 40% ABV. So uh, some people find it hard to get into drinking bourbon. This is a good way to start. The Disarono is sweet. You know, it's a recognizable flavor for a lot of people. It's diluted a little bit with ice. You know, you can drink it with ice after shaking it with ice too and um it, it's just a good way to get into the spirits uh i think that for whatever reason if you really wanted to do vodka this is not a good way to experience vodka because the disarono is just going to take over any kind of flavor the vodka might have which it's not supposed to I, I guess you're supposed to enjoy the purity uh listeners out there in eastern europe uh tell us why you guys drink vodka straight for pleasure and i think that's where i was going with the russian dating app thing it is because they live in russia <laughs> i see Okay, I'll keep that in mind. But uh, <laughs> yeah, go try yourself a Godfather cocktail. They're real good. Uh, I'm not going to claim that I made that because I definitely did not. But, uh, you know, get your uh, get your inner Godfather on and pour yourself one of those. Hell yeah. Thanks, John. Oh, man. So I guess it's time to let him in. All right, let's go. All right. So for those of you that are new to the podcast or you forgot because we haven't done an episode in a while lately, sorry about that. Life happens. Um, 
we have our synopsis reader, Frank Synopsis, who is a 385-year-old man who lives in Central Park. And it looks like he's in here now. I don't I won't look at him in the eyes, but I can smell him. Frankie, welcome to the show. Hey, this is Frankie. I don't know what you mean by the Frankie. I uh I'm looking for uh looking for somebody. I'm supposed to meet somebody here. Oh, um, okay. Well, what's your name, sir? Uh, my name is, uh, my name is Mr. Mucherino. Oh, like Mr. Mucherino's uh, Pizza Palace? Mucherino's Deli. Oh, okay. I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There- there's so many of them. And not-, not that yours isn't the best one, but, you know, uh, you-, you are a very large man. Uh, uh, who are you looking for? I was looking for my boy Frankie. He's got, a- he's got something for me. He's supposed to give it to me a while back in the, uh, he didn't deliver, so I thought I'd give him, uh, Thought I'd give him a little visit at work. How does anyone know that he works here? He doesn't have an official contract. He just comes in and get. You know what? It doesn't matter. If you want to have a wait out in the lobby, hopefully he'll be here soon, okay? Wait, you guys doing some kind of some kind of radio talk show here? What's he, what are you doing over here? Um, I am doing an internet radio podcast thing that about 14 people listen to. Oh, is one of those people a Frankie boy? Uh, I. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and use the customer service line of I can't give you that information because I don't want to give away, you know, my employee's personal information because I don't know what you're going to do to him, even though I probably couldn't blame you. All right, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, Frankie, if you listen right now, I need my money. You know what I'm talking about. You don't steal from the Mocherino crime family or the Mocherino deli family. Yes, making loads of sandwiches and uh, nothing else. Definitely not crack cocaine. All right, uh, you know what? Thanks, man. I'll let you know if I've seen Frank or not. Oh, wait, you guys doing some kind of episode about the, about the Godfather or something? What's this? No pictures? What, what's going on right here? Uh, yeah, we are talking about the Godfather. Um, it, it's... Oh, it's my favorite movie. Oh, it is. Oh, well, um, in the absence of Frank's synopsis, would you like to tell the people a little bit about The Godfather? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a story of love and crime and punishment. Don Corleone is my boss. It's New York City. He's, he's the Godfather, if you will. Oh, sorry. This my this my cannoli fell out of my front pocket. They don't make the front pockets on these shirts the same way they do back in the old country. His sons, his sons Sonny and Michael, they step in to help run the family business. And after he survives an attempted whack, they do what's gotta be done. Wow, I, I, th- that was great. Uh, hey, you know what? If you can leave your resume or something, we might be able to work something out. If I, if we can't find Frankie, maybe, uh, maybe we could score out a deal. I don't know. I don't know how these, uh, deli things work. Hey man, I just gonna be straight up honest with you. The last thing you want from me. Here's a calling card. Fair enough. All right, sir. Well, um, we got to get on with the show. Uh, we only had the two microphones, so I will see you later, more than likely, because that's how these things work. Just tell Frankie I said to, uh, I said to take it easy. Yikers. All right. Thank you, sir. So, um, I think we should have had a little bit better of a, a snack bar outside. I Do you have a guest that wasn't Frank today? Uh, yeah, it was not Frank. Um, it was someone from the Macherino, uh, Delhi family. Delhi family? Yeah, uh, for legal reasons, I have to say Delhi family. Um, we are, so, uh, I think Frank's gonna be gone for a while, and I think that guy is more than likely going to be around in some way. Anyway, John, the people are ready. Should we get into it? We've got to. We don't have any other choice. We, I mean, I guess we could just stop the episode right here. (laughs) No, no, that's not that's not necessary. We've come too far for this. We watched three hours of movie just for this episode. Can we can we just do it in five parts and each part is like twenty minutes long? 
it's just like the Godfather film series, except, you know, the length of the pieces is much different. <laughs> the length of my piece is very different. Anyway. <laughs> not what we need. That's not the energy we needed on the podcast. Hey, look, I'm talking about my own dick and not anyone else's, so it's fine. Anyway, let's get into the Godfather saga. Well, not the Godfather saga. We're talking about just the Godfather. I'll explain the difference later. All right, so the Godfather was directed by Francis Ford Coppola um, and produced by Albert S. Ruddy with a screenplay by Mario Puzzo and Francis Ford Coppola based on Puzzo's book, The Godfather. I see. Is this like a like a Pulp Fiction crime novel thing? He, yes and no. Uh, we'll get into it. Um, it. It's the same as the movie, but it's a little more graphic. Uh, I see. Is it kind of like a similar relationship between like Starship Troopers and the book, or is this more faithful? This is faithful, especially if you watch Godfather 1 and 2 together. Mm. But it's... um. I would say this is a better adaptation all around. Um, the, the the Starship Troopers movie is different in tone than the book is. Very much so. The tone is almost the same. The story is the same. It's just this one has a the movie has a little more reverence than the book does. The book is known for being, for lack of better words, like a little sleazy. Okay, I see. So it's almost like, uh, almost pornographic in a sense with the kind of violence and, like, Correct. stuff that you'll see there. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is, um, it's not a bad read. I've read a little bit of it, but, I mean, it is, it's an acquired taste. Anyway, so the movie stars, of course, Marlon Brando. It's Don Corleone, fra, and he was... I guess his biggest movie before this, even though he was a really big actor, would have been uh, A Streetcar Named Desire. Stella! Anyway. That one. Okay. You see, I'm learning things. You're learning things. All right. And then uh, Al Pacino, uh, Scarface himself as Michael Corleone. And uh, you might also know him as Dunkachino from Jack and Jill. No. (laughs) No? Just no. We're not going to talk about Dunkachino again. Dunkachino. Look, listen. It is it is the like only part of that movie that is enjoyable. I love Dunkachino. I wish that was a real commercial. I wish I could go to Dunkin' Donuts and ask for a Dunkachino. I'm pretty sure I could, and they would just shit in a coffee cup for me. But you know what? I... No, I, I'm glad that Al Pacino's in this movie and all. I really, I can handle an Italian actor playing an Italian guy. I can handle an Italian actor playing a Cuban guy. I can almost handle an Italian guy playing a Amazon shaman in Cannibal Holocaust. I cannot handle Dunkachino. <laughs> it is an appropriation that of which the likes we've never seen. Anyway. That's where we draw the line. That's where we draw the line. It's Dunkachino. That, that line is pretty pretty far out there then. All right. Um, so James Caan uh, plays Sonny Corleone. And if you're having trouble placing him, if you're someone that's our age, uh, he is Walter Hobbs in Elf. All right. So does this suggest that Scarface and Elf take place in the same cinematic universe? I don't see why they can't. I mean, Scarface takes place all the way in Miami and Elf takes place in New York City. 
okay, wait, Scarface or uh, um, Godfather? Because Godfather takes place in New York, right? Correct. And um, there's nothing that suggests that they're not. I mean, the Godfather presents itself as 1972 or 1940, whatever, New York City. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Elf and Elf then takes Elf takes place, place in like 2002. Yeah, Elf takes place. I think I believe it's 2005. But I mean, why did I even say that? That's like cutting hairs or whatever the fuck um, people say. Actually, uh, Elf takes place three years after. <laughs> Elf actually takes place in the year 2015. They just don't say it. Why? No. I don't we're I done don't have that. time to get into it with you. Uh, I I was doing my best horrible Quentin Tarantino voice. Anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so yes, dear listeners and John, it is entirely possible that The Godfather, Scarface, and Elf all take place in the same fucking universe. It is indeed possible. Anyway. Right. It's a part of the Godfather canon. <laughs> no, it is not. Anyway, Robert Duvall plays Tom Hagen, so the lawyer, and he was also in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Wait, as the lawyer? As Atticus? No, um, Gregory Peck plays Atticus Finch. I don't know who Robert Duvall plays in that. Oh, no, wait, I think I do. I think he actually plays um, Boo Radley. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like, he was really, really young when he did that. Um, And then, of course, we've got the lovely Miss Diane Keaton as Kay Adams, who you might also know as Annie Hall. Ah, yeah, they should have got Buster Keaton in a wig to be Kay Adams. I don't think Buster Keaton was alive when this came out. Uh, you know what? He could have been, like, two months old in a wig. I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm riffing. I'm just riffing. You do understand that Buster Keaton is like a silent film star, like from the same era as like Charlie Chaplin. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. The Godfather is like some sort of weird time space continuum thing. Yeah. Um. No, Buster Keaton died in 1966, three years before the novel even came out of this film. They could have just had his body on like a marionette string. That's why the hand with the marionette thing is on the the, the movie poster. I can't argue with you because there were actual human skulls inside of Pirates of the Caribbean at the same time. So, yeah, I guess that could have been possible. But let's not play with the dead. We learned what happens with that in Return of the Living Dead and also a lot of other movies we've covered. Anyway, yes. the music was by Nino Rota. Um, and I'm just going to give a little spiel about this. So Nino Rota was supposed to get a um, Oscar for his work on the music in this film, but it was far too similar to at least five other films that he did not write the score for. So he actually got his Oscar revoked. Really? It was just too close and not original enough? Correct. Oh, man, what a bummer. Is that, you think that was on purpose? You think he did like a little bit of borrowing or like what? Well, I mean, isn't all, when you're writing music, isn't it all borrowing a little bit? Like you're influenced by something. If you're, and I'm sure for this movie, I think the other movies were also like crime related movies, like dealing with Italian Americans. He probably went, oh, I want to go for that feel. And then probably just borrowed a little too much. Just like George Uh, Harrison with uh, My Sweet Lord. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Just like that. Or like the beach boys and uh that one song they stole from charles manson yikes that really happened people 
Look it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's just let's just go down this really quick so we can get out of this. Um, so cinematography was by Gordon Willis, uh, edited by William Reynolds and Peter Ziner. Uh, the production companies were Paramount Pictures and Alfra- Alfran Productions. Uh, it was distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was it premiered on March fourteenth, nineteen seventy two, at the Lowe's State Theater, uh, which we'll talk about more later. And uh, it was had a wide release on March twenty fourth, nineteen seventy two. It had a budget of about six to seven point two million dollars, and it had a box office return of two hundred forty-six to two hundred eighty-seven million dollars in nineteen seventy-two money. Yeah, they got to leave like thirty-nine million in there as wiggle room to make it ambiguous because the mob gets a cut off the top. I'm sure they did. I I can't think of any other reason why it would be like that. Anyway. Let's get into it. Let's break this down. Um, I hope you guys are ready for this because it is. I do have a lot of juicy deets. All right. Give me the juicy deets. Give me the juice. Give me the juice, daddy. Anyway, trashy book. No. <laughs> this is what I'm going to call trashy book to Oscar winning film. So The Godfather was written by Mario Puzzo and published in 1969, like I had originally stated. Uh, the book was already optioned for a film adaption based on an 80 page manuscript that was floating around Hollywood. Uh, Paramount Pictures optioned the novel for a film in 1967, which was two years before the book was even, you know, published. And they gave uh, Mario Puzzo $12,500 for the film rights and another 80000 promise that the film got made. And, uh, okay, so knowing that this thing made over $250 million, he kind of got screwed there, right? I mean, I wouldn't say so. I mean, like, so let's so let's see. He's already got, like, basically $100,000 before the thing's even made. He probably got a lot of money because he wrote the script for it, and he probably got money off the top of it as well, but I just couldn't find that information. I only know what he got for it, and here's why, because he talked about it later in life. Uh, Putzo had confided in Paramount execs that he... He needed ten grand to pay off a gambling debt. Uh, they happily gave him the money in exchange for the film rights, and I—it's one of those weird things of uh, life imitates art, or art imitates life, whichever way you want to go. Yeah, that is a little—that's uh, a little on the nose. You know, that that is funny that it would work out that way. Yeah, and so they, they basically just gave him a couple extra bones so they could be like, hey, finish that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, like I said earlier, the book is generally considered to be a bit trashier in the film. Uh, the novel is uh, kind of like you said, it's almost like a pulp light. And it has some mm-hmm. pretty steamy sex stuff in it as well as grisly violence. Um. For some reason, when it's in the novel, it's trashy, but when it's in the film, it's art. I don't know why. Like Francis Ford Coppola, Fra- that's why. Francis Ford Coppola, well, actually, we'll get to that. He was actually not as revered a director when he took this job, but we'll get into that shortly. Um, uh, right, right. We can't, uh, we can't forget that this is... Uh, Godfather walked so that Dracula could run. If that is the way you want to look at it, I don't have time to argue with you. <laughs> God, can you imagine Dracula running? I mean, why would he run? He has fucking wings. He could just turn into a goddamn bat. Why the fuck would he run? And even if he's not being a bat, he can levitate. If, there we're, you go. if we're going on Hammer Films rules here. <laughs> right, you got to, you know, because this, this more closely resembles the Hammer Films Dracula than Bram Stoker's Dracula by Coppola does the Christopher Lee Dracula movies. Correct. Let's move on. 
All right, so I wanted to talk about a couple of differences from the novel and the film. Like, there's not many other than the novel kind of switches back and forth between uh, young Don Corleone and Michael's story. Um, And young Don Corleone is kind of more covered in Godfather Part 2, which we'll do at some point. I'm not going to do them right after the other because I feel like that's overkill. Anyway, <laughs> um, so here are a couple of the differences. So uh, Fabrizio and Kahlo, uh, which were Michael's uh, bodyguards in Sicily, were killed in the novel. Uh, Kahlo in a car bo- in the car bombing with Apollonia, and Fabrizio was eventually found in a pizza shop in New York and killed. Um, interestingly enough, Fabrizio's death was filmed, but it's never been put back into the film. Huh. Yeah. Why is that? Just, like, for the integrity of the film that made all the money? <laughs> Not necessarily, because uh, there's so many different cuts of this movie that it's just odd that it never made it in. But they're going to do like a special 50th anniversary edition next year and put that in, maybe? Bro, I just want them to do a fucking 4K release. That's all I want. Anyway. Um, so it's probably just more to do with, uh, we'll talk about it later, but Francis Ford Coppola wasn't like crazy about all the violence in the movie. Like he really wanted it to be more subtle. The studio kind of like pushed his hand in a different direction, but we will talk about that soon. (laughs) All right. Um, so in the novel, Connie is swayed to believe that Michael is not responsible for Carlo, her husband's death. Whereas Mm -hmm. in the movie, she's visibly upset and knows that Michael had him killed. Right, yeah. That's that's also pretty fresh on the brain for me. You know, that whole finisher to the movie, and it it does give a a sense of permanence there. Like, this is the way things are now. You know, like, there's Mm -hmm. a resolution, but it's not a happy one. It's just, this is the state of things. This is the state of the union. Uh, We're killing family members. But if if we're being honest, like, it doesn't make it right, but I understand why they killed Carlo. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a dirty business. It's a dirty business. If you screw these people over, you're gonna get fucking boned. (laughs) All right. And uh, one of the other final things that I really wanted to talk about with uh, the differences between the novel and the movie, whereas the movie kind of, like, paints some of the more, like, racist stuff, like, you know, just as, like, casual. Uh, the book really actually goes into it and kind of shows, like, the uh, the hypocrisy of it. Hmm. So, uh, the film, do- like I said, the film does make casual mentions of how racist the mafia members are, both in the film mm-hmm. and the real world. Uh, the film leaves out some of the uglier details. Uh, the no- novel showed how the mafia used black men to distance themselves from the law and let them go to jail instead of them, like, basically using them as, I really don't want to say this, but there's no other way to say it, like, proxy slaves. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, th- that makes sense. They set them up for failure, or they get involved just enough to get their hands dirty and then don't stand behind them when things go south. Correct. And once again, that is not something I wanted to say. There was just not a better way to say that. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> all that being said, the book stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 67 weeks. That's, that's, oh, yeah, that's a while. Yeah. I mean, the novel is just about as successful as the movie, which is crazy. For, for like a novel, even in like the 60s when people still read stuff. Because you know what? Here at For Your Inflammation Podcast, we say boo books. No, <laughs> I, I we don't. You, you can. I say boo books. If God wanted us to still read, why do I have a TV? Yeah, I... There's so much wrong with this. <laughs> there's no... Uh, what can no, I read? No. What could I read that I can't get in a podcast or a TV show? We don't need books. <laughs> Um, uh, poetry. 
<laughs> poetry. Oh, okay, fine. You picked the one yeah. art form that nobody cares about. Anyway, I'm just kidding, books. It's all in good fun. It was just jest. You still suck, though. Anyway, let's talk about the early days of production. So, uh, shortly after Paramount bought the film in 1967, uh, they announced that they had backed the remainder of the novel's development in hopes to make the film in time to release for Christmas Day 1971. So, basically, they gave Mario Puzzo, or the publishing company, rather, more money to get the thing fucking done. And mm. because they wanted to release this for Christmas 1971, which I, I do think this would have been an appropriate Christmas Day movie. Like, why Why is that? Why, why do you think this would have been a good Christmas Day release? Well, okay, so you know the kind of movies that they released on Christmas Day? It's never, like, Christmas-related, but they're always yeah, usually, like... Yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, so, like, Thanksgiving is more, like, Christmas movies, but... December and like specifically Christmas Day you start to get some of the more like prolific movies that the studios were kind of waiting to put out because they want to put it out closer to Oscar season and for whatever reason a lot of people go to the movies on Christmas Day I've only done it once um I took my mom to go see Little Women like two years ago because my dad my dad just absolutely refused to go see it it's actually a really good movie I'm not a big fan of Little Women like the property the franchise but this remake was actually really really fucking good I had Florence Pugh in it from Midsummer. Yeah, I still haven't seen Midsummer. What? Yeah, I know. I keep talking about it, and then I keep not doing it. That's it. For Halloween this year, we're doing all modern, like, art house horror. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. On March 23rd, 1970, Albert S. Ruddy was brought on as a producer for the film. He was known at the time for bringing films together on time and under budget, something that did not happen in this case. Um, param- Yeah. So Paramount, it, for whatever reason, wanted to hire an Italian-American direct to direct the film. Can you believe that? They, they, they were actually being really nice. <laughs> you know, I... Yeah, I see that. I don't really know in this particular case. Like, did he... I guess the guy that wrote the book was Italian-American, wasn't he? Correct. Okay, so it wasn't enough for them for it to just be a story by an Italian-American. It also had to be directed by an Italian-American. Is this for authenticity? I believe so. So that way it could be like, you know, oh, we're not stereotyping. They did it themselves. They literally have a giant wedding with a bunch of mandolins and literally a guy screams gabagool and throws a pack of meat to another guy in the middle of the wedding. Hey, you know what? You win some, you lose some. Equality is a messy sword. (laughs) I really, really want some capicola now. (laughs) Some capicola. Some gabagool. (laughs) Gabagool. Pizza pie ravioli. Anyway. um... We can't. No. (laughs) We can't. They're going to come for us. Mamma mia, principece. All right, so where were we? Uh, Sergio Leone was the first choice to direct the film, but he turned it down to work on his own gangster film, Once Upon a Time in America. And it's okay. <laughs> um, Paramount went down a list of Italian-American directors, like probably about like four or five, until they got to the bottom of the list with Francis Ford Coppola, now known as the being the uncle of Nick Cage and Jason Schwartzman and the father of Sophia and Coppola Roman, and he also makes wine. <laughs> I Classic. I mean, why not just make wine on top of all that? Exactly. But back in these days, he was known for having like one or two like good movies, but like nothing big budget. And also, the real reason the studio became interested in him was because of the low reception of his newest film, The Rain People. And they figured they could get him to work for cheap because uh, he fucked that one up. (laughs) 
I see. Yeah, so uh, Coppola initially rejected the film because he thought the book was too sleazy. (laughs) So was this a reflection on the Italian-American image here? Was he upset with that? I mean, was this a part of the bringing on an Italian-American director? Or was this just a personal choice for him being like, ah, it seems kind of grubby? That that's more what it was. He was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the mafia movie guy. Um, however, he did change his mind after family and friends kindly, I hope kindly, reminded him that he owed Warner Brothers four hundred thousand dollars in losses from a little film he produced called THX one one three eight. Which ah. Do you know what that is, John? We've talked about it before. Uh, I think we talked about it in abstract film. Maybe it was when we were doing 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, Probably. Yeah. But uh, the skinny of it is this was George Lucas's first film. And it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's artsy, if you like that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, and then he did American Graffiti. (laughs) Couldn't be any more different. And then eh, we don't know what happened to George Lucas after that. You know, American Graffiti was his magnum opus. Yeah, of course. Nothing bigger came after that. There was no giant merchandising scandal. There was no (laughs) rewriting of the way that brands or franchises work. Uh, I mean, he did make American Graffiti 2. No, wait, I don't think he actually made American Graffiti (laughs) 2. Anyway. Um, So, anyway, Francis Ford Coppola was like, oh, shit, yeah, fuck. And he took the job for a $125,000 agreement plus 6% of the total gross of the film. So I'm pretty sure he paid back his debts. That's good. Hopefully, as long as he didn't spend it on, like, you know, a deli slicer or something. I don't know. Anyway. Honestly, I, I would do it. Dude, those things are expensive. I looked into it. They're like a thousand or like two thousand dollars. I can't, I couldn't I mean, believe that shit. You could buy like a used Honda Civic for that much. You know what? That's fair, I guess. I just, I just figured there had to be like an attachment for the stand mixer. Oh, an attachment for a stand mixer. You're going to cut some gabagool with your KitchenAid. Hell yeah, dude. Why not? It's on the salam. It's 2021. Why not? Anyway, so um, I, I guess my whole big point with uh, the getting the money from for George Lucas' film is if if Francis Ford Coppola would have just waited like four more years, he could have shook down George Lucas for that money. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I'm like, man, if you just would have held on for another minute, but we also wouldn't have gotten The Godfather, so whatever. Um. So the film initially had a budget of $2.5 million, but uh, Coppola argued for and ultimately won more money for the film due to the book becoming increasingly popular. It was like, look, we, we're going to have to do this right. People really like the book. I don't know why. It's sleazy, and I'm a good, good little Christian boy. So I don't know why they like it so much, but I'm going to I'm gonna give the people what they want. I need my $400,000. Can we please make the budget, like, $7 million? And they were like, okay... I'm assuming that's how that went. <laughs> Do you think they knew they had a hit on their hands? Like, I mean, they oh, knew the yeah. book was popular. It, yeah, they, I mean, he wasn't their first pick. So do you think that was, like, dissuading them from it? Or do you think that they were just saving money on the bottom line by not having, uh, you know, like a really high-profile director for the time? I'm assuming they wanted to make a really good movie for really cheap. They want That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Um, so Paramount initially wanted to change the setting of the film to Kansas City and shoot the film mostly on sound stages. And uh, Coppola told them, absolutely fuck you. And so they shot it on location in New York City and Sicily. Sicily is expensive as 
hell to film in. Yeah, I imagine it's pretty hard to get to. Yeah, I mean, like, you have to get all the camera. Oh, I'm sure you could rent cameras over there. I mean, they have movies in Italy. <laughs> um, uh, clearly, I mean, this was about the same time they were making all the Gaio films. It, really? Do you th- yeah, 1970. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I know things about movies. I, no, no, no. I just, I my brain was like, no, they weren't. That was like in the 70s. And I was like, oh, Godfather takes place in the 70s. No, he's absolutely right. Hey. Jalo film. We will have to do a series on that because I've really gotten into that lately. Anyway, neither here nor there. Maybe there, but not here. So co- Yeah, very Sicily. <laughs> so Coppola fell behind in casting and was costing the production about $40,000 a day just because he couldn't pick people for the movie. And uh, Paramount asked their vice president to keep an eye on the production. And uh, Coppola started to fear that Paramount was attempting to fire him and that his co-director and editor were conspiring to make that happen. It's literally like what happens in the movie. Exactly. They were going to whack him, except they weren't actually going to kill him. Even though I'm pretty right, sure right, if he right. got fired off this movie, he'd want to be killed. Anyway, um, so Paramount also gave Coppola a uh, violence coach to make the film more exciting. Uh, the scene where Connie finds out Carlo is cheating and she smashes all the vases was added for this reason. <laughs> Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, so they wanted they wanted more drama and more like violence, I guess. So they added that scene in. It's not in the book. Uh, you know, I... Sure. Uh, of all, why did they need to add more violence to it? Um, I'm assuming just to make it more exciting for, like, you know, the peanut gallery, essentially. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that lady. That lady's smashing all the vases because her husband hits her. She probably deserves it. <laughs> I'm from the 70s. Deserves to smash the vases or deserves to get hit? <laughs> I don't care. I'm from the 70s. Anyway. She deserved to smash some vases. Hey, look. A vase, if you will. Hey, look, man. It's the 70s. I'm a man. I don't care. All right. I... Uh... Thanks, Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> Thanks, Francis Ford Coppola's Violence Coach, which sounds like a great like band name. Hey, we're Violence Coach. Here's our first song, Smashing Vases. And then it's Shoegaze. Anyway. Amazing. <laughs> Another little piece of this puzzle is uh, Puzzo was actually, Mario Puzzo was actually given $100,000 to write the screenplay for the film. So I'm sure he had a lot more gambling to go do. <laughs> Of course, of course. Or maybe just a lot more gambling to pay off. You know what? That is entirely fair. All right, so let's talk about casting a little bit because uh, it gets a little interesting, I think, like some of the people we could have had in this movie as opposed to who we got. So uh, Coppola originally wanted Marlon Brando to play Don Corleone, but uh, here are the others that the studio made him, like, kind of um, consider. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. So uh, Lawrence Olivier... Ernest Borgnine, who was uh, the studio's pick, that he would actually would have been really good in this. I, yeah, but he, he's Mermaid Man. I know. We could have, <laughs> we could have had, we're going to go do some evil. 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 Anyway. Oh my God, that, I'm, he's also from Mikhail's Navy, right? Yes. Oh my god. That would have been quite a quite a rap sheet he would have had to add the Godfather to his filmography. <laughs> I'm sure if Ernest Borgnine had been Don Corleone, we would not have gotten Mermaid Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Corleone shows up to Sicily in a submarine, hops out the top, and then that one guy's there talking about how never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line, and then he launches a tow missile at him. <laughs> a tow missile? Jesus Christ. 
And then um, I think the biggest person they almost got for this was Orson Welles, which I like Marlon Brando, but Orson Welles as Don Corleone would have been cool as fuck. Yeah, you're right. So um, an interesting thing about Brando's, um, how he got the role was uh, he was tricked into a screen test, uh, something that Francis Ford Coppola thought might have potentially offended him. Like asking a big actor to do a screen test is like, what do you mean? You saw me in Streetcar Named Desire. I don't need a screen test. I'm good on the screen. The studio still wanted to see it because they wanted Mermaid Man for whatever fucking reason. And Hell yeah. <laughs> because hell yeah, bro. So Coppola pretended like he needed to test something, like a lighting thing with the camera because they wanted to do something specific with his makeup. And he asked him to read some lines. And uh, Brando actually sucked cotton balls in his cheeks to get the voice just right. I see. He played Chubby Bunny. Chubby Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. All right, so Paramount put a little bit of a fight about Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. Like, they just didn't really want to hire Robert Duvall because he was notoriously hard to work with. They could have had Shelly Duvall. Oh, Shelly. Shelly, come on the podcast. We love you. We're glad to hear that you're doing well and that Dr. Phil's an asshole. I'm glad to know that you can take care of yourself. We love you. Anyway... So, uh, Robert De Niro was actually originally given the role of Gatto, but uh, he left the film after Al Pacino left the film, the gang that couldn't shoot straight, to work on The Godfather. So, we just missed having Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in The Godfather, which would have just been perfect. They worked very Italian. Yeah. Yeah. They got the, they got the they got the sauce just right. They got the sauce just right. They got the actual garlic cloves in there, and they're gonna have fucking um. I don't know where I'm going Gnocchi. with this. Gnocchi. You put that in white sauce, you asshole. My fucking fiance is Italian. I know this shit now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you got you're joining the familia. I, I'm so scared that we're gonna get married and they're gonna pull me into a room like, we know you're good at shipping things. You're gonna ship some stuff for us, okay? I'm gonna be like, I should have fucking known. And then I'll pull out my <laughs> Luger and I'll murder all of them. <laughs> You have a Luger? I don't, but I'll get one for this occasion. Nice. You gotta nice. kill. Good, you, nice touch. You gotta kill mafia members with an American-made gun. I. <sighs> That's how it works. It's like to... it's like a silver bullet with a werewolf. We have to move on. <laughs> as long as the audience knows that I hate myself as much as they hate me. That's all I ask for. Uh, so the studio is also hesitant to cast Pacino as Michael due to him being too short. Ah, classic. <laughs> so here are the other options. Uh, Warren Beatty, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, Martin Sheen, and James Caan. All right, yeah, I'm thinking of Dustin Hoffman, so that's a weird pick. Dustin Hoffman would be a weird pick. Robert Redford would have been whatever. Martin Sheen, eh. I don't, I don't think he would have given it the same love that Pacino did. I think... This is Pacino's best role. Hands down. If only down. this had been uh, Sylvester Stallone's breakout opportunity. It could have been, but he was too busy uh, doing softcore porn in Philly at the time. Yeah. Classic 70s. Classic 70s. <laughs> Missed good work opportunities because of porn. Um, so let's talk about filming a little bit. I'm not going to go way into this because there's like a thousand documentaries on this, but I just pulled some of the best shit to talk about. So uh, filming uh -huh. was scheduled to begin on March 29th, 1971 with the film where Michael and Kay are shopping for Christmas gifts at the kind of like probably like the 30 minute mark. 
Um, however, the snow was forecasted for March 23rd, so the date was moved forward. Snow didn't happen that night, so a snow machine was used. So it's actually fake snow in New York City on a day that it was actually supposed to snow. At least it's not like freaking um, the Wizard of Oz, where the snow is made of like asbestos or something. Yeah, there's a lot of things about the Wizard of Oz that I'm glad they don't do anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Remember, <laughs> the only thing that stops a bad witch with a flying monkey is a good scarecrow with the gun. I want to see the scarecrow working for the Corleone crime family. <laughs> what would that sound like, John? I think that, like, you, you just have a guy sitting in a room. He's like, I need to introduce you to my associate, Scarecrow. And he's expected some, like, really weird, shady-looking dude to walk in. And what they get is a weird, shady-looking dude that is Scarecrow from MGM's Wizard of Oz. Oh, <sighs> I might be scared, but I'll put, I'll make you look like Swiss cheese, I will. I'll fill you with holes, motherfucker. <laughs> he just starts shooting. He's not even holding the gun right. It's like just <laughs> flopping around in his hand. I could understand if he would have had a rifle. Why did he have a fucking gat? Like, I don't understand. I, uh, look, it's, it's too... We <sighs> go listen to our Wizard of Oz episode if you want to know more about this. Okay, it's 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 not this movie. Let's continue. All right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, they, when no job is too big, no no man is too tough for the Scarecrow, <laughs> which sounds intimidating, but he's literally just Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Jesus Christ. Okay, we have to move on. So um, after they filmed that small scene in the snow with Michael and Kay, they packed up and went to Sicily. <laughs> Why they couldn't have just filmed it later with the snow machine, I don't fucking know. It was in March. It's not like Christmas decorations were even out. I don't get how movies yeah, right. work. <laughs> anyway, so um, the towns of uh, Sovaca and Forzo Diargo were used as the filming locations. Uh, the film then got a new release window of Chris from Christmas 1971 to spring 1972 because they knew they weren't going to get it done on time so now it Uh is so it is now over budget and over time (laughs) nice yeah okay i mean that's uh, as many great films are exactly but it just goes against the promise of the producer so it's kind of interesting i guess they kind of knew what they were getting though um so gordon willis was brought on as the cinematographer uh coppola and willis decided to use a uh use the tableau format uh this is a format that is used to make scenes look like a painting uh it's also it was also often used by stanley kubrick i see yes okay so an act so this is fun i guess depending on who you are um an actual horse's head was used in that infamous scene uh the horse was from a dog food factory and in coppola's words was going to be killed anyway I'm glad he justified it. I'm glad that he had some sense there and he didn't just go out into a field and chainsaw the head off of a horse. Is that too graphic? I I don't know. Like, I mean, I I have to assume that's what they did. I also think it's highly unsanitary that they made a really, like, a real-life man sit in a bed with that thing. I I mean, I have to assume that the blood in it was not real. It would have had to have been. God, could you imagine the smell on that thing? I, I can imagine he screamed because he wanted to get out of that scene. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, I can't imagine. That, I, 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 I never I, thought it was real. I never thought it was real once in my life. Really? And then when I, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's terrible. They should have gone to the Jello factory. Uh, well, they could have only gotten the hooves there. That's what they use. Anyway. Oh, I see. Let, they could have clacked them together like the coconuts from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
I actually did that in a play one time. So I was in a play called The Apple Tree one time, and I played like a bunch of like, like basically in every scene, I played a different character. And in mm-hmm. one of those, I decided to make my character a, um, because we couldn't afford horses. So, so I just found some coconuts in the prop room and I was like, can I use these? And the director went, I don't see why not. This play is going to suck anyway. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, confidence. Hey, I, I went out there with those coconuts with full confidence. No one got it. That's why I do. That's the way I do everything. No one gets it. <laughs> They'll get it later. I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> I got it retroactively. Exactly. After I told you about it. Anyway, let's continue on. Um, so Sonny's death scene actually costed over a hundred thousand dollars to film, like from like breaking all the glass to um all of the film print and everything. Hundred thousand dollars. That scene right there. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's definitely one of the more busy scenes in the movie. I it makes you wonder though with the location cuz if they're shooting all this on location in New York, if they go out someplace outside the city to shoot this, or is this truly just a back lot on a studio cuz it just kind of looks like they set it up there, but I guess that's kind of what it really would have been like if it were taking place in real life. Yeah, I'm going to have to assume that it was a um that that might have been a sound stage. I don't see why they wouldn't, especially because it was going to cost that much. Mm-hmm. I would say it would have been way cheaper to film it on a sound stage, but I mean, who knows? Huh. Okay. I mean, hundred thousand dollars scene. How about that? How about that? Um, <clears throat> probably a more expensive scene. I just couldn't figure out how much it costed. Um, the wedding scene at the beginning of the film was filmed on Staten Island with 750 extras and locals. Wow. Oh, they got locals too. Yes. Wow. So this is where the real mob shows up. <laughs> apparently like i i don't have it in the notes here but apparently like most mob people at the time were very pleased with it and said like yes this is how our life is even though it's really not this is actually like pretty exaggerated Uh uh-huh i mean why would you not own it it's a great movie if the movie sucked that's one thing exactly they could have been like it's nothing like this we're much scarier but even by this time like the mob was not nearly what it was um, any by the seventies. Anyway, the wall around the Corleone house was actually made out of styrofoam. I sure, sure. Yeah, why why not? not? I mean, it looks yeah. real. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, I thought I took that as real too. I guess I'm just really gullible. It's it's a lighting trick. I don't know anything about styrofoam walls. I don't know nothing about how, what horses' heads look like. What are horses anyway? Yeah. Uh, they're a conspiracy put on by the government, just like birds. Just like birds. Horse girls. All horse girls are part of the government. They are the bourgeoisie. (laughs) Hot take. Hot take. (laughs) Hot take on horse girls. Oh, leave the horse girls alone. (laughs) They're not hurting anybody. They're just definitely fucking that horse. All right. (laughs) Again, hot take. Somehow hotter. (laughs) We we are a horse girl friendly podcast. We don't care what you do with that horse. Anyway, um, so filming ended on August 7th, 1971. And the first rough cut was actually available by September 1971, which means they were probably editing it while they were filming it. Most of the post-production efforts were focused on trimming the film down. And that leads me to a question. Why don't people like four-hour-long movies? They'll sit there and watch a four-hour miniseries all in one sitting. Look, man, I did some math, and um, a year is like 1.3% of your life. Okay. So... If you think about it, four hours can be calculated down to a certain fraction of your life. 
and four hours is twice as big as two hours. And two hours can also be calculated down to be a certain period of time in your life that you know, you'll know exactly how much of your life you're spending. That's why people don't want to watch four hour long movies. Yeah, but then they'll go watch like Endgame and that was three and a half hours long. <sighs> yeah, Endgame is a special case though. Is we it? were groomed for that movie. Is it special? Was it really that good? I don't it's know. It's a special case. It's not a special movie. <laughs> special movie. Anyway. Um, so most of the scenes were cut from the film involving Sonny, uh, because they didn't advance the plot. So, uh, yeah, James Kong kind of got screwed, but they did end up using some of it in Godfather 2. Hey man, he got paid. He got paid. It doesn't matter. He got to be an elf. Who doesn't want to yeah. be an elf? He got to be Walter Hobbs. Walter Hobbs. He got to be the villain. Anyway. You have another son, Walter. That's amazing. He thinks he's a Christmas elf. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. I haven't seen Elf. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm shocked you haven't seen Elf. No, Elf is one of my favorites, man. Um, my- it is a true modern classic. Oh, exactly. We-, we should cover that movie at some point because it's very specifically done that way on purpose. But once again, that is not this movie. It is only tangentially related as it is. As we have discussed, it is in the same universe. Yes. Um, so uh, the final cut was shown on January 1972, and that is going to be a cut print on the filming of this. Okay. All right, so let's talk about the release a little bit. Um, So the film premiered at the Lowe's State Theater on March 14th, 1972. Uh, the Lowe's Theater closed in 1987, uh, was demolished, and is now an office building called the Bertelsmann Building, or more commonly just referred to 1540 Broadway. Yeah, Lowe's Theater, it kind of didn't really work out. People started coming in there asking for like appliances and like <laughs> lengths of PVC pipe. People came in there like, Home Depot stands up for the Republicans. Fuck you, Lowe's. <laughs> and I, I, I don't get it. I, I think maybe the, the Home Depot just made the right move with Homer, the Home Depot guy. <laughs> And how he's a super relatable mascot and Lowe's has nothing as a mascot. Well, and now Home Depot has all that free Ben Shapiro money. because Ben Shapiro money? Oh, did you not hear about that? Okay, so basically Ben Shapiro wanted to own the libs because Home Depot wouldn't get political, which no one was talking about. And so uh-huh. he went to Home Depot and bought a single piece of wood and like held the receipt for it, which is like the only time that Ben Shapiro has ever shown proof of anything. And um, <laughs> he like he was like, look at this magnificent piece of single wood that I bought. I'm going to do nothing with this. I did this to own the lips. <laughs> and all right. Sure. Yeah. I I hate what this has become. <laughs> I, I th- no, th- this is not a controversial issue. It is on both sides of the aisle. Everybody went, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, our little wooden boy. We just want him to become a real boy so he can stop this nonsense. And- <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. You should go to Lowe's. Ben Shapiro needs to grow up and go to Lowe's like a man. <laughs> Their credit card has a way better interest rate. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. This has gone off the rails. Anyway, Lowe's Theater closed down. Boohoo, it's 1540 Broadway. If you want to go stand where Marlon Brando stood, you can go to 1540 Broadway. New York, New York. All right. The film had already made $15 million before it ever even opened, all from advanced rentals. 
advance rental so people are renting copies of the movie in advance so that when it debuts they just go straight to their theater yes nice okay well that's really great for them yeah well it's not individual people it's theaters so like theaters were already oh, yeah theaters were already like yes 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 give us the gabagool give it to us um again gabagool gabagool bababooey tony soprano it's just chilling out in the lows waiting for his copy of the godfather to be released to him <laughs> eating gabagool straight from the butcher paper <laughs> Very Tony Soprano. All right, so as we mentioned earlier, uh, the film was released widely on March 24th, 1972. Um, It then also premiered on television about four years later, um, and it was sold to NBC for $10,000. And uh, there were many, 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 many home video releases, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, $10,000 or $10 million? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say $10,000? I meant $10 million. Man, you, I, that, that's a deal. For $10,000, that's a deal. Exactly. That's like, wh- like, how much could that be? One movie theater? Um, all right, so let's talk about the reception a little bit. There is quite a bit to this, so I am sorry. Um, it, has a, it has maintained a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes since the day it premiered. Or, well, really since the premiere of Rotten Tomatoes' website. Could have said that better. Gotta move on. All right, so it's... As we were talking about before, it's cited as one of the most influential films of all time. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture, uh, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Mario Puzo. Um, There is an interesting thing about Brando's acceptance speech, and I would like to get into it. Um, okay. So, Marlon Brando refused his uh, Oscar for Best Actor in this film, and he... Pr- he refused it in protest of how Native Americans are portrayed in Hollywood films. Uh, he sent American Indian rights activist and actress uh, Sashin Littlefoot. Uh, she is uh, Native White Mountain Apache. Uh, in his place, or sorry, he sent her in his place to explain to the viewing audience why Brando declined his Oscar, and she was unfortunately met with booze galore. Ah, that's uh, classic Hollywood. Yeah, um, I mean. I, 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 like, he's right, and she's right. I don't know if this was the best way to do it, but, I mean, hey, it's civil protest. Gotta love it. Why are you booing? I'm right. I mean, she was absolutely right. If you, if you can, just go look it up. Like, it's really easy to find on YouTube. It's, um... She's absolutely right. She's still right. And, I mean, I guess that's why we're still talking about the fact that he refused this to this day. They didn't give it to someone else. They He just refused it. Hey, man, they're going to get some of those strike breakers from Italy to come in because they're not going to have Native Americans anymore. They never had Native Americans. They just had white guys painted to be like Native Americans, and then they just brought in Sicilians because they didn't have to paint them as much. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as racist, but what I will say that we can all agree on is in Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks plays an Apache chief with a Yiddish accent, and how that didn't fix racial shit in America, I don't know. Anyway. Right. (laughs) This was our We Are the World moment. We blew it. We blew it. The world is now fucked, people. Okay, so it, it wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be me if we don't talk about the home theater releases. It's, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You got a laser disc or something. <laughs> there was a laser disc, but I'm Ooh. not. I'm not going to get into that because there is way too much to talk about here. Okay, so I'm I'm going to blow your mind here. There are three different versions of the Godfather film. 
So, one, there's the theatrical release, which I guess if you want to say Godfather 1 and 2 count as, you know, a single experience, those those both exist separately from each other. Then there's the Godfather Saga. Uh, this This was a release put together for American Broadcast Television, where they put Godfather 1 and 2 in chronological order and made use of some unused footage. Um, so, of course, it was edited for time and content, but it apparently it was not, like, super edited. I think most of what they took out was language, hmm. which is interesting. Right. You gotta, you gotta take the swears out. Gotta take the swears out. Can't have those. No. You think they just had, like, a mandolin thing going on? Like, whenever he says, you know, a bad word, you go... <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna kill you. I actually yes. love that. I would love to see that version. Uh, it's a suspense between what he's going to do and what he says he's going to do. <laughs> I'm going to Italian you. Anyway, so um, the other version of this film is the Godfather epic. And it's the same as Saga, but it's not edited down for broadcast. And this one is uncut. Ooh, uncut. And of course, you know, uh, The Godfather Epic was released on Laserdisc, VHS. It never made it to DVD. It never made it to Blu-ray. I have not found a good way to watch The Godfather Epic, even though I really, really want to. Um, hopefully, maybe they'll uh, they'll give it the Scarface 4K treatment. Where like mm. the Scarface 4K treatment being, uh, they gave they give you every single version of Scarface that exists. So there's like yeah. the rated version, the director's cut, uncut version, and the TV version. I would love to get a Godfather release that has the Godfather saga, epic, all of them put together, or all of them separately, and then also the um, the recut of Godfather Part 3, which is, of course, not quite as lauded as the others. Mm-hmm. But anyway... Um, so here are some other releases. So the Godfather trilogy, which put all three theatrical releases in one box set. Um, the Coppola restoration, which is a 4K audio and visual scan made for Blu-ray release. Uh, this release was difficult because of how many times the original film negative had to be run in order to meet the demand of the rentals back in 1972. So like the original print looked like shit. And so they had to go with like a copy where, where like, you know, the, the original film they, negative kind of, like, faltered. Mm. And they had to, like, kind of re-piece it together. But, I mean, it does look good. I'd like to see it on a 4K disc. And like I said, I'd like to see a box set with all of the different versions of The Godfather. But we're never going to get it. <laughs> you don't think so? No. Uh, physical media is... I, I don't want to say it's dying. Because it's obviously not. It's probably not going to go anywhere. But I do think there's going to come a day, like, in the next decade, where you're not going to be able to walk into Walmart and buy a Blu-ray. Like, it's just not going to happen anymore. I think you're going to have uh-huh. to go to a specialty store for it, which I'm actually cool with. I'd rather go to a specialty store. But that's because I am crazy. <laughs> anyway. Fact. Fact. Big facts all right let's let's finish this off with talking about like the legacy of this film so uh the film was put into the national film archive in 1990 and uh part two was inducted in 1993 um so you know this film's going to be preserved forever now which is awesome that's wonderful just like shrek yes shrek is also in there and so is clerks hey how about that hey magionis all right um so the film was made into a video game by Electronic Arts in 2006. Uh, did you ever play the game, John? 
No, I saw it again at the Blockbuster, you know, I was like, oh, wow, I wish I knew something about this. This looks interesting. And now I see the game and or rather I see the movie. I'm like, huh, it does seem like they could do a good game out of it. But then I realized it's EA and what they did to Star Wars Battlefront, you know, re-release. I'm like, nah, we're good. Yeah, it was pretty bad. That was a huge misstep. And then they tried to fix it with two, but then they put microtransactions in it. And I think they officially killed that franchise. Anyway, um, the video game was actually pretty good. It was basically a GTA clone, kind of like in the same vein as uh, Simpsons Hit and Run. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's Godfather. So they've got like all the shit going for it. Um, So some of the voice actors returned. uh, James Caan returned as Sonny. Robert Duvall as Tom. uh, Abe Vigoda as Salvatore. I can't believe we haven't talked about Abe Vigoda yet. I know. It, he just... He's in the movie. We, we, I just didn't get to him other than here. He, he is in the game, though. That's great. I'm glad he could be put back in there. I'm glad that he's, uh, you know, the, the important stuff is in the game. Exactly. Um, Marlon Brando actually recorded lines for the game, and uh, it would have been his final acting job, but his ill health um, kind of rendered the lines unusable. Like, he was just, like, coughing a lot. So it's like, it was really sad. He was very near towards the end of his life when they were trying to record these, and they ended up just going with somebody else. I mean, hey, it was 70, not 70, it was 72 when this was released, so that means this was, what, 34 years in between? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he wasn't young when he did the movie. No, he was not. So, I mean, he was about middle-aged then, so he was an old man when he was trying to do this, but, you know, R.I.P. Marlon Brando, you gave us some great stuff. All right, so um, the game was a financial and critical success, and uh, a sequel was released in 2009, but it was not received well. Uh, They had originally planned to do a third game, but those were scrapped after the sequel didn't do well. See, what they got to do is they got to make a a Gary's Mod clone (laughs) for Godfather. Do people still do Gary's Mod? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that 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 took me back to 2012 right there. Yeah, yeah, good old G-Mod. You know, you get your your mods for Left 4 Dead. Oh, yeah, of course. I want to see that, but all of the the zombies skins are turned into just, like, pork products. (laughs) So it can be just like the deli that we're sponsored by. Yeah, just like that. The weapons are a Tommy gun, uh, (laughs) a revolver, a garrote, which is that thing that they killed the guy in the car with, uh, you know, a switchblade. Heart disease. Yeah, 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 (laughs) gotta get that. Heart disease, the best weapon of all. Yes, the silent killer. The silent killer. Anyway, well, John, that's the Godfather in a nutshell in about, I'd say we did it in about an hour. That's pretty good. How do, you, how do you feel? Do you still like the movie as much as you did now that you've heard a little bit more about how it was made? And like, you know, you know how the sausage gets made now here. Oh, yeah. No, I really, really do like the movie. It's it's a feast for the eyes. The acting's great. The writing's really good. You know, it all just comes together in a great package. And I'm interested to see some of the sequels, too. And I think knowing a little bit more about it is really neat. Um, it's just a great film story. It is. It's it's just a timeless classic. It's fun to learn about. There's all, there's all kinds of shit. I really do highly suggest everybody go and check out some more info about it because it is truly a sight to behold. Anyway, so I guess that's going to wrap it up. Uh, a little bit of house cleaning here. We, we are actually sorry that we took such a long break in between episodes. Uh, John and I just had a lot going on, and, you know, it was just kind of easier to just 
drop the podcast for a minute, but we are not going away. As a matter of fact, no. we, we are hoping that our schedules are going to align exactly correctly that we can keep doing this regularly. <laughs> we, we promise we if we ever going to have like a big long stretch like this again without episodes, we'll let you know when that is and for how long. Yeah, yeah. You know, life happens sometimes and we just want to make sure we're still able to put out like a quality product for you guys and, um, you know, do ourselves justice as well you know the last thing we want to do is start compromising everything else just for this because it's not going to be good for anybody exactly we we love all 23 of you and we want to give you the best thing possible so if you're sticking with us that's awesome if not you were a fake fan anyway (laughs) anyway so john do you have anything else to say before we close it up I don't. Uh, Gabagool. Gabagool. All right. So make sure you give us a five-star rating on on the new Apple Podcast app. It looks the same, but okay. They said it's different. Um, but go give Classic us... Classic Apple. Go give us five stars on there. Uh, it helps us be more visible to, you know, other people, the more five-star ratings we have. So we really appreciate those of you that have. Um, if you guys write us something cool on the review page, uh, maybe we'll read it on here. That would be cool. Uh, someone from Australia, do it. We'll, we'll read it. And I'll, I won't even do the accent. I promise. <laughs> Australia listeners, please hit the Facebook. Uh, let us know what's going on over there. I know like your toilets are backwards and like you all wear shoes, like your left shoe on your right foot and your right shoe on your left foot. That must be really hard for you guys. So like we, we, we want to know. I think we want to know what it's like. I think you're confusing the population of Australia with how Kangaroo Jack put on his clothes in the movie. And I think we just lost all of them. <laughs> oh yeah. Kangaroo Jack, man. I want to see, um, I want to see like a, like a punch out, like Kangaroo Jack versus like Sylvester Stallone. Jesus Christ. We, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. All right. So like John said, hit us up on our Facebook. Uh, tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Um, preferably just what you want to hear. I don't really give a fuck about what you don't want to hear. It's my show and I do what I want. Um, yeah. Anyway, for four year inflammation, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Watch a new movie this week, guys. Bye bye. Gabagool. Pizza rule, I hike the pocket.